You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around side of the house with me, Arizona homeowners. It is 8 o'clock. It's Saturday morning. It's the fourth Saturday of the month. We are urban farming with Farmer Gray. Hello, hello. Love being here. Of the urbanfarm.org. Yep. You have been an urban farmer in the state of Arizona for... Well, it depends. <laughs> I've been seriously doing it for 29 years, but I planted my first gardens here in the valley in 1974 at and, the ripe young age of 14 years old. And what we love about having you on, Farmer Greg, is you always come with something new. I mean, as long as we've been doing this, there's still something new. We learn words like microisms and igorisms, and there's so many new vocabulary that we expound upon. And the the passion for it, it always electrifies us and gets the audience engaged because it's, it is something you're truly passionate about. But you, what's so attractive about your passion is it, it's just a sheer love for it, but you're yeah. not – beating anyone over the head because oh, no. they're not doing it right you know no, so no. many times when people are that passionate about something if you're not doing it they get in your face and they don't understand why you're not on board blah yeah. blah blah, blah, blah. And it, it just it does nothing but turn right people off it has the reverse effect of what you're trying to accomplish yeah. you've just got this love and passion that it just makes people want to garden well, here's what I do. I, I kind of hold it up. I'm holding up my hand right now, my left hand, uh, with my hand facing up. And it's like, you know what? You can do this. It's easy. You can. And I kind of, you know, I bring that energy to it. It's an enticement energy rather than, you know, what you said. So, <laughs> and I, you know, I just love what I do every day. This is uh, a passion that's lived since me, since uh, 1974, uh, when in the eighth grade, I wrote a paper on how we were overfishing the oceans. So back then, I knew that there was something inherently wrong with the way we were living and eating on the planet. And it took me, you know, a couple of decades to figure it out. But now this is what I get to do every day is teach people how to grow their own healthy, nutrient dense, incredibly tasting food. And it took National Geographic until the mid 2000s to finally publish that article about overfishing the oceans. Oh, yeah, there you, you go. You were 20 years ahead of National <laughs> Geographic. Or 30 or 40. There you go. So citrus. We have all of our topics in this 2018 follow our home maintenance calendar. Mm -hmm. And the first Saturday of the month, the Farm Bureau comes in and talks about what's in harvest. So back in January, we had the Justice Brothers in with the Arizona Farm Bureau, and we talked about citrus. Well, mm -hmm. we're back on citrus because February, even though we're nearing the end of our primary citrus season, this is the perfect opportunity to plant. That is correct. So that when... So that when November comes around and December and January, we can start reaping the benefits of this wonderful sea of Arizona. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, yes, you harvest citrus generally because there's citrus that lasts some some trees all year round. But generally, the, the citrus harvest is November, December, January, February. And the best time to plant citrus is after the last frost, which, you know, this year it's got cold again after the last frost date, which is usually around February 15th. Uh, and it was 34 degrees in my yard this week. So but that's not a frost. <laughs> that's that's not a frost, but that's dang cold. That's dang cold. So the best time to plant citrus is between, I say, February 15th and about April 15th. The reasoning behind that is that citrus are highly affected by 
cold and frost. So we want to get them in the ground after the last frost and quickly enough so that we have as much time as we can have them in the ground before the next frost arrives. So if we plant them, say, March 15th, that gives us until November before it gets cold again. And that gives us time to get them established and, you know, really thriving. And you kind of reference that we might be harvesting an abundance of citrus the first year. Usually what I tell people is it takes three years to get a harvest off of a a fruit tree. So it's going to take, you know, it's going to take you three years to actually get something. But then one of my favorite things to grow is a fruit tree because they are so incredibly abundant. I developed this theory over the past few years that there's that lack, this notion of lack, not having enough lives only one place on the planet. It's between our ears. <laughs> because when I look at my yard and how my apple trees and peach trees and carrots and broccoli and all the abundance that I have growing in the uh, in the yard at the urban farm when I look at how much is there I just can't imagine that there the, that that kind of abundance wouldn't be everywhere and it only took you 30 40 plus years <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> the good news is anybody listening anybody inspired anybody that wants to go to that level mm-hmm. we're going to help you get there a lot faster than that exactly Exactly. And that's, that's what today's about. I have, I've been growing fruit trees since 1975 here in town. I've been seriously growing fruit trees since 1989. I've planted out hundreds and delivered out tens of thousands of fruit trees. I've interacted with people, you know, over the past decade that have been planting trees. I've seen what works. I've seen what doesn't work. I give a, a lecture both online and in person called Three Ways to Hear Your Fruit Trees. We talked about that last month. If you want to go back and reference that. Um, and I know what it takes to grow fruit in this in the des- in the low desert. So that's what we're talking about today. And you brought some books with you today. As oh my well. gosh, yes. So well, you know, there's. Let's start with the Phoenix Magazine. Yeah, did that just come out? It, yeah, that's out this week. Uh, I was um, I was interviewed by Kerwinden Cornelius Kerwinden Cornelius from Phoenix Magazine on the five C's. Now, all right, one of the five C's of Arizona. Well, obviously, citrus we're talking about here today. Yep. Behind that, it's all primarily agricultural. It is. You've got cotton. Yep. Cattle. Yep. Copper. And what affects all of those, climate. Climate, exactly. So still, that kind of is tied back into agriculture. Exactly. So Phoenix Magazine is doing the five C's over the course of a year, and this month is citrus. So she did- tie-in. Yeah. She did a beautiful job of talking about how citrus, you know, really grew up here. Uh, you know, St. Mary's Food Bank really was started based on citrus. I don't know if you know that. No. Uh, yeah, the the founder of St. Mary's Food Bank actually uh, arrived here. Uh, according to the article, he was a playboy and he arrived here and was looking for something to do. And he started collecting citrus and delivering it to the homeless and the needy people back. I know I can't remember what the date was, but uh, that's how it all got started. And still to this day, they, you know, they'll, they'll glean, it's called gleaning. They'll glean or harvest, you know, a million or two pounds of citrus every year and, and put it, put, you know, put that healthy citrus into, you know, into the food banks. That's an incredible story. I'm glad yeah. that they're covering that and they're going to that kind of detail in history. Um, you know, a lot of times when people move here, uh, they don't feel like there's a lot of history <laughs> yeah, they're bit. just not looking. Right. You know, well, and they didn't grow up with Wallace and Ladmo and Legend City and Citrus and date palms. You know, we had to do a sh- show on date palms one of these times. 
because uh, date put palms that down are, for 2019's calendar. Yeah, date palms. <laughs> date palms are huge here, and we have, you know, the the Sphinx date actually was grown and found at 44th Street and Camelback in that area, and that's where the biggest grove in the world of Sphinx dates is. <laughs> so. No, we can. It's here. It, the the history is here, and I'm glad that uh, Phoenix Magazine's covering that. So yeah, that is the case. I'm going to steal that magazine from you though at the break, and all right, cool. Browse through it. What else have you got here? Some. So there's a really cool book. It's uh, by John McPhee. It's called Oranges. It's really the history of citrus. Uh, on the planet. And um, I picked it up maybe 20 years ago. It was written in 1967. And I get this question a lot. How long, how long do fruit trees live? And what I've discovered, I've actually been planting fruit trees long enough in the valley to live through the entire life cycle of fruit trees, not citrus, <laughs> but apples, peaches, apricots, plums. They generally last if you take really good care of care of them and we'll talk about how to take really good care of your citrus here in a little while but if you take really good care of the citrus or the deciduous trees so that apples peaches apricots plums those kinds of things that you might get 20 25 years out of them that's it that's it wow that's it so you know our systems of taking care of them will have them last longer but we have to work hard on those it's you know it's the heat the heat just gets them well the mm. citrus loves the heat i actually have two Arizona sweet oranges in my backyard at the urban farm that were planted sometime in the late 1920s, early 1930s. Wow. So that puts them at, at that 80 years, right? Uh, in Europe, one celebrated tree called the Constable lived for 473 years. That was a citrus <laughs> tree that lived for 473 years. So citrus will last a long time if you, uh, you, know, if you take care of it. And was it producing that whole time? Uh, good question. I don't know that it goes into that, uh, but it produced for a lot of it. Well, that's so. longer than most of us will probably be on <laughs> on this earth in yeah, our single given lifetime. So there you go. You, the chances that you're going to outlive the citrus you're planting now, if properly planted and maintained, is... Exactly. You can leave a legacy. You can absolutely leave a legacy. And, you know, the cool thing is I actually, you know, I live near the station here uh, in an old citrus orchard. That in the 1920s and 1930s, they were, you know, it was one of the places that they used to grow citrus. And I've I've heard rumors uh, about a railroad that from downtown coming into, uh, you know, into north central Phoenix, a railroad line to harvest the citrus and take it back and ship it out. Text questions to 411-923 or email uh, pictures to info at rosieonthehouse.com if you need a little help with uh, variety identification. And no matter what you do in that course of, you know, 100 years of, of citrus farming, you are going to at some point experience a time where you go out there and there's going to be a nice fresh mound of dirt underneath your citrus and there's going to be some little burrowing critter that's coming to enjoy your harvest or just wreak havoc on your soils and give you a nice spot to put your foot through when you're not paying attention something to drive your dogs nuts to go uh, chase and dig up more holes and if you're fighting that right now you can get bonides mole max and vol repellent it's available in five or ten pound applications it's a granular that you shake on and it will last up to three months deterring any kind of gopher rabbit ground squirrels if it burrows under the ground 
Molmax and Vol Repellent for a Bonide that's family made in America is something you should have in your arsenal. Just a lad of ten, my father said to me, Come here and take a lesson from a lovely lemon tree. Lemon tree, very pretty, and the lemon flower is sweet. But the fruit of the Back in studio with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm talking citrus today, because it is a time to plant it. If you have considered citrus or you're looking for, you know, maybe you're not even looking for edibles, but you're looking for a hedge or you're looking mm-hmm. for an evergreen and you're looking for something that's well adapted to the desert. This is a great application and aside from just uh, a, a food source. Right. Plus it's thorny. So, you know, it kind of acts as a barrier for things. It is a thorny bush as well. Good for maybe a shrub underneath a tree line to keep mm-hmm. any, or I'm sorry, a shrub underneath a window. That's something that oh, a yeah. lot of security advisors will always say, plant a cactus or something thorny at the base of a window. You know, it keeps burglars from climbing in. Now, if you're ever trying to exit for a fire, <laughs> you got to make sure you give yourself a, a good push off the windowsill. But but today's, for all intents and purposes, we're talking about planting these for a harvest to become yes. more sustainable. And, and it all starts with planning. So this whole notion of urban orcharding is different than rural orcharding. Uh, urban orcharding is what we do in the city. And generally, we have, you know, a small lot. Some people have a, you know, a three, 400 square foot backyard. I have about 10,000 square feet in my yard that's not house. Basically, what we're trying to do is keep these manageable. And one of the ways that I do it, you mentioned hedge. Along the front of my property at the urban farm is a, you know, is a citrus hedge with three or four different kinds of citrus growing in it. Uh, it acts as a nice barrier. Uh, you know, it's evergreen, so it stays, uh, you know, leafy green all year round. It gives me food. And in urban orcharding, one of the key factors is that we want to keep the trees small, generally speaking. This is one of my guidelines. We're going to talk in the next segment about rules that I have. I got a couple of rules for growing citrus here in the valley. Uh, But this is a guideline that you want to keep your trees small. They're easier to manage, easier to pick that way. uh, And... Um, you know, they're just more fun to have around. Plus, the other thing is, is a standard size citrus tree, it can get 25, 30 feet tall. It can get 25, 30 foot in diameter. And in that same space, I could put three or four different varieties of citrus that give me three or four different varieties of fruit to eat that ripen at maybe a little bit different time. So, you know, if I have a certain amount of yard space i you know i keep the trees small so that they're easy to pick easy to manage and i get more different varieties to eat and you keep them small just by lopping them off on the top yeah it's not (laughs) quite like that here's what i that's a great question by the way so pruning citrus the way you prune citrus is you uh, prune it to the size and shape that you want to keep it and you take out any dead So anything that's dead, citrus have a tendency, you know, five or 10% of the limbs will die every year. So you want to cut those out. So when you go to plant a five gallon citrus or a 15 gallon citrus or a 24 inch box, they're a particular size. What I then recommend that people do is I let, let the citrus grow into the size and shape that you want it. And then any limbs that grow outside of that size and shape, you can just cut them off and you can do that literally on a monthly basis. 
So if you're, you know, if you're out in your garden, I have my uh, my pruners in my back pocket, and if a you know a lemon tree all of a sudden sprouts up a, a limb three foot taller than the where I want it to be, I just cut it off. Then it's not going to hurt the tree, and it's uh, it's a lot better for the tree that way. Because then what happens is you're taking all that energy that would have grown up, and you're putting it into the tree and the fruit. And in that case, does it matter if I'm planting from the get-go a dwarf versus a non-dwarf variety? Oh, great question. You didn't even know you were asking that question, did you? (laughs) I have found, has been my experience, that the dwarfing varieties, and it's the rootstock that makes the tree a dwarf, none of the rootstocks that are dwarfing do well here in the desert, with the exception of one peach. All of the other rootstocks that are dwarfing in nature, they suffer, they struggle, they don't do well. So I suggest that people purchase standard size rootstock or a standard size tree, prune it to the size and shape that you need it. It's actually quite simple to do that. Okay. And when I'm going to pick these out, what am I looking for? Uh, obviously, I can go to the pop-up nursery, and I know mm-hmm. I'm getting good Yeah, we're open on. this weekend, so we'll be open for the rest of the day today on Saturday, and we'll be open next Friday and Saturday from 9 until 3. And that is located at? Uh, we're at 4549 North 7th Street. That's just south of Highland on 7th Street. So on your sizing, mm-hmm. 5 gallons, 10 gallons, 15 gallons, Right. you had some information on what size that should plant be. should be yeah. if you're buying that gallon size. Exactly. So here's the thing about that. You can pay a little or a lot for a citrus tree. We have three standard size citrus trees that we sell. We sell a um, we sell a five gallon, a fifteen gallon, and a twenty four inch box. Okay. And it's so there's a method to pick it out and you really need to know that. And it's based on the diameter of the trunk of the tree. Okay, well, we can do a lot of things here at Rosie on the House, but we can't stop the clock. So when we get back, we're going to talk about what size of diameter and size of the tree that it should be based on your 15, uh, 5-gallon plant size. And 24-inch box. And 24-inch box, uh, because that will greatly determine your cost on that. Big time as well. And we're going to talk about some fun facts, then we're going to get into your rules and guidelines here at Rosie on the House with, we'll cover that with Farmer Greg. Welcome back to Rosie on the House in the 8 o'clock outdoor living hour with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm. We're going to get right into it because, like always, we're halfway through the program and a third of the way through the talking points. So we don't want to rush anything, but we don't want to not cover all this great content that you bring every single Saturday when you come down. We were right into uh, a conversation of, of picking the size, but making sure that the size that you're being told you're purchasing mm-hmm. is the size you're in fact paying for. Yes. Yeah, that's so, that's a big thing. So as I mentioned before, we sell a five gallon, a fifteen gallon, and a twenty-four inch box tree. 
And the, they come from Sunset Citrus Nursery down in Yuma, which is where most of the citrus in the state comes from right now. They're, the, they're our one big grower here. What I have seen other nurseries doing um, is um, not real happy with. So that's why I like to have this conversation. So on a, on a five-gallon tree that should be the – and it's based on the size of the trunk – so a five-gallon tree could be a half-inch diameter trunk to an inch diameter trunk, probably closer to the half-inch diameter trunk. And that's down at the base. There's a graft point. So these days, all citrus is grafted. They put it on a rootstock. We talked rootstock last segment. They put it on a rootstock that does really well here. And then they put the fruiting stock up top. And right about where they graft it, the graft point is, you know, right above that is where you want to look at measuring this. There's usually a little knot there that kind of makes it obvious. Yeah, and it kind of looks like a knee. So, you know, there's the, you know, look down at your knee and that's it. That's what it kind of looks like. And so right above that, you're looking for in a five gallon, you're looking for half inch to maybe three quarters of an inch to if you got a really good one, an inch diameter on the trunk and a five gallon tree should be anywhere from in the pot should be anywhere from three to four and a half feet tall okay from the soil to the top of the from the from the pot from the ground up uh it'll you know once it goes in the ground it'll be you know 12 inches shorter because the pot's usually okay so don't measure from the soil in the pot measure from the ground to the the ground up it's going to be you know generally it's going to be three to five feet tall okay and on a 15 gallon tree what we're looking for is a trunk diameter of three quarters of an inch to up to two inches. So, you know, this is getting to be a pretty nice sized tree and it's going to be four to six feet tall, maybe even seven feet tall. So here's what I know. We sell a five gallon tree right around the 40 mid 40s is what we sell our five gallon okay. tree for the 15 gallon tree. We sell for 100 bucks. And I have seen some nurseries and stores out there that sell it for quite a bit more than that. So, you know, just use that as a guideline. All of our prices are fair. One of the things that I have seen happen here in the Valley is a store will take a 15-gallon tree and they'll put it in a 24-inch box and they'll sell it to you for a 24-inch box price. Mm. So what I have found is that our 15-gallon trees that we sell are or that we bring in are like a lot of other places, 24-inch boxes. So now I'm not saying come and get our trees. But if you're out shopping, take a tape measure. Take a tape measure. Pay attention uh, because a 24-inch box tree should be three to five-inch diameter at the base. That is a huge tree and up to nine to ten feet tall. In fact, when our 24-inch box trees come in on the truck, they're, you know, there's these big box it's trucks. It's a flatbed truck. This isn't. Oh, no, it's a these big are box big truck. box trucks. It's semi. Yeah. It, yeah, it's a big box truck, and the 24-inch box trees are bumping against the roof. <laughs> That's how big they are. So if yeah. you're spending three or four or five hundred dollars on a, on a 24-inch box tree, it needs to be significant. Uh, and when I say significant, again, three to five inch, at least three to five inch diameter on the base of it and you know nine feet tall is not out of the question nine to ten feet tall
Yeah, I guess on a flatbed you might lose a few leaves. And yeah, you don't ever want to do that. You always want to transport your trees in an enclosed, <laughs> an enclosed vehicle, vehicle, or you know, if you know, when people are coming and getting them from us, we're making sure that we lay them down. Because, uh, you know, and then if, you know, somebody's going to drive a long way, I, you know, it's like take side streets. So you can take that information. You can listen to the podcast, write it down, bring a tape measure. If you're out uh, on, on in the citrus market, make sure you're getting a fair market value for the plant. You can email me, Greg at urbanfarm.org. Perfect. You know, they, then you can come down and see me at the nursery. Check our website, urbanfarm.org, for our nursery hours, because I am more than happy to talk all about fruit trees with you. Let's jump into the Asian citrus psyllid. Yes. that's uh, It's not as big of a deal as they had thought it was going to be, but we definitely want to stay conscious of it. Okay. So the Asian citrus psyllid is a little bug. It's a sucking bug. So uh, the way it, it it goes in and it latches on the plant and it sucks the liquid out and it uh, puts this uh, citrus greening disease in uh, in the citrus. If it's uh, if it's transmitting it, it's putting it in through the sucking method that it does. Um, so Asian citrus psyllids have been found throughout the state. There's not a big quantity of them. This is directly from Arizona Department of Ag today. I called them just to make sure that I knew what I was had the latest up to date information. They're here, but they're not here in quantity. Um, and the citrus greening disease apparently doesn't like the heat. So it hasn't shown up here. Uh, you know, it's devastated the Florida, Florida. Market, market, right, but Parts it hasn't. Of LA. Yep, it hasn't hit us here, uh, and it seems like the heat's keeping it away. So really what there is to do is if you want to go identify the citrus and, you know, see if you have some around, uh, you know, knock yourself out. I, I don't bother with it. I don't think that it's uh, going to be an issue because of the heat, which is nice. One of the things you can do to collect them is there's a yellow sticky trap. It's just a yellow piece of cardboard with sticky stuff on it, and it collects bugs. And so if you want to check and see if you have some in your neighborhood, you put up a yellow sticky trap and and then call the Cooperative Extension. If you have more questions about it, uh, I was directed today to you know reach out to the Cooperative Extension agents. So there you go. That's, that's the sh- what I know on this Asian citrus psyllid. What would be a sign that somebody would think, hey, I may have something here I need to put out? Does it start to brown? Do you see holes in the you leaves know, it eaten? Yeah, good question. I actually don't know. I, you know, I work on it from the end of health. So I'm always working. In fact, that's what we're talking about next is how do you make a healthy tree? Here's what I have found. The healthier your trees the less susceptible to bugs they are, the less susceptible to disease they are. So really what I'm about is making sure that you grow a healthy tree. And how do we do that? We've got Farmer Greg's rules and guidelines. Yeah. So the guidelines, some of the guidelines are around, you know, urban orcharding, keeping your trees small. But I have two hard and fast rules about growing fruit trees, all fruit trees, and really trees in general here in the desert. Uh, Number one is my 6-6 rule. Every time you plant a tree, you want to put a six-foot diameter basin around it with six inches of woody mulch in it. That woody mulch, and I know some of you have heard this before, you are going to hear it in ignosium from me <laughs> because, because I have seen over the past five years the amazing difference that this makes by putting your wood chip basin around it. And really the best thing to do is cover your entire yard with wood chips. Some of us can't do that. I've got flood water, can't do that in my yard. But 
wood chips, they do multiple things. They absorb water, so they keep it wetter longer for you. They act as an insulator, so they're keeping the heat and the cold out. They're insulating the roots. In your lawn, if you're putting uh, fruit trees in a lawn, that's one of my ways to kill your fruit trees is if you <laughs> plant in a lawn because the sprinklers water every two or three days, right? That's going to overwater your tree. So by putting six inches of woody mulch around your fruit trees in your lawn, that acts as a buffer so that that sprinkler water never makes it down to the roots. And the best part of the wood chips is that the interface between the dirt and the woody mulch, it starts within days. It starts making this absolutely amazing soil like you would find in a forest. And nobody manages a forest and the trees do great in a forest. And so really what we're doing here with this woody mulch around the trees is we're mimicking the forest. So that's rule number one. I call it my six, six rule. Six foot basin. Six inches of mulch. That woody is, mulch. That is a minimum six-foot basin, six inches of woody mulch. Okay. Okay. Rule number two is what goes in the hole. Uh, just a couple of minutes ago, we were talking about creating healthy soil so that we have healthy plants. Here's what it looks like in the end. So a friend of mine come by, comes by the urban farm recently, and... I harvest some cara cara navels off of my tree and I send them, you know, I send her off with, and I get this text late that night. And she said, Oh my gosh, Greg, what are these? I could tell by the text, her <laughs> eyes were wide and she was like, her mouth was watering. Right. And I said, they're a cara cara navel. And she said, I've never had a cara cara navel that tastes like this. So much of the taste flavor profile for the food that you eat comes with how healthy the soil is. So it's your job and my job to make really healthy soil underneath these trees. The healthier the soil, the better it's going to taste, the longer they're going to live, the more the tree is going to thrive. So when you plant your tree, I suggest the following. 60% organic matter. I sell Farmer Greg's planting mix at the nursery, but some kind of planting mix that you mix with 40% of the native soil. Add an ounce of mycorrhiza. We talked about that last mm -hmm. month. That's the life. A pound of azomite. That's micronutrients. And a pound of worm castings, which is just good worm poop. <laughs> and you mix it all in the wheelbarrow and you plant it. it and castings just looks better on the retail shelf. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So that's how you make a healthy tree. We're in the garden with Farmer Greg. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to the Urban Farm, not the Urban Farm, just urbanfarm.org. Yep, urbanfarm.org. Yeah. Just urbanfarm.org. You've got bountiful amounts of resources there. Oh, my gosh. That cover citrus. It covers varieties. It covers fruit trees. It covers uh, everything urban farming. We were talking plants right now, but aquaponics, you talk about. And our podcast. And that comes out how often? Twice a week. Twice a week. So you get all that at Urban Farm, just urbanfarm.org. Well, we had talked earlier about things that burrow into our gardens, but what about things that crawl on top that don't necessarily burrow? In particular, in this case, for go away, it's deer and rabbit. If you're fighting either one of those critters in your yard, Bonide's go away rabbit and deer repellent granules can be just shaken around the perimeter of your gardens for up to two-month effectiveness of deer and rabbit-free living. Now, it's all natural. It's made with white pepper, 
prosciutto egg solids, which is basically just a nice word for rotting eggs, garlic, and clove. This doesn't create an unpleasant odor for you, just the animal. It's available in three-pound bags, and you can get it all over the state, including Summer Winds Nursery in the Phoenix area. If you're in Tucson, Savano Nurseries out on South Houghton. And if you're in Flagstaff or uh, you've got deer problems in the higher country, you get to Warner's in Flagstaff. That Bonai products are family-made in America. In our final segment here with Farmer Greg, we're going to talk about uh, microclimates yeah, to that's start re- off with. That's a really important thing. One of the quickest way to kill your fruit tree is to plant it in a really warm microclimate. Now, when I say warm microclimate, I'm talking about gravel. So if you have a gravel yard or a dirt yard with block walls all the way around it, sidewalks, concrete, asphalt, all those things contribute to the heat profile of the space. And I can't tell you how many pictures I've gotten in the past five years from people that, you know, why did my fruit tree die and they planted it right in the middle of a gravel yard with no shade? Well, you go stand there for five minutes in July and you tell me why you think it's not doing good. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I tell people to do. I say, go go stand out there for, you know, in August for 20 minutes and see if you'd want to live there. So there's, you know, there's ways to mitigate the heat. You know, we talked about the 6-6 rule, the woody mulch. That's a huge way to do it. If you are dealing with gravel, you know, uh, and a really warm microclimate, go to eight feet diameter. That'll help a lot. Also, shading your trees for the first year or two, especially uh, on the, you know, the deciduous and the citrus trees, shading them for the first year or two will help a lot. Now, you had some fun facts about citrus that you wanted to share before we uh, wrapped up this program. Yeah. What, what's a fun fact on citrus for so our listeners? One of the fun facts, and this we all know this, uh, citrus are evergreens. That means they don't ever lose their leaves. They'll stay green. So the nice thing about my citrus in my front yard at the urban farm is I have this nice wall of citrus that's between me and the street. Okay. And you couldn't put up a wall like that. You can only grow one. <laughs> so given that it's evergreen, it stays green all year round. That's cool. Uh, some varieties bud and produce fruit all year round. Really? Yeah. Isn't that cool? Isn't that some varieties of the lemons, that work here? Some okay. of the lemons will have fruit on them all year round. Uh, we already talked about the peak season for is uh, November through February. Although I've got some uh, Arizona sweets that stay on through May and in, into June on my trees. Um this I didn't know this. Citrus can be left on the tree without becoming overripe. Really? Yeah. Now it'll eventually now they dry start out. To shrivel. <laughs> it'll eventually dry out, but, but apparently it won't over ripen. Yeah. Apparently oh. they don't over ripen. Here's the other thing about citrus that I didn't know, and that is that once you pick it, it doesn't continue to ripen. So you have to pick it right off of the tree, otherwise you're not. It's not going to be ripe for you. And in a lot of cases, the only way to know if it's ripe is you just got to pick one off and eat it. There you go. So. Uh, this is, I didn't know this either. Almost all varieties of citrus originated in Asia. That I did know. Oh, now, I don't know how that got to the hands of St. Mary's Food Bank <laughs> Well, was, in the 1800s. but Well, uh, yeah, actually, I don't know what date it was. But we actually started planting citrus here uh, in the late 1800s. So the orchards started arriving in the late 1800s, early 1900s. 
tropical. Now, what are some of your favorite varieties? And oh let's hit tropicals in that list as well. Yeah. So, Caracara Naval, I've already mentioned that. It is absolutely delightful. Trovita Orange. Uh, the nice thing, about, so the Caracara navel is an actual navel. It has a little navel on the end, basically no seeds, peels real easily. The Trovita orange is a really nice orange. It's kind of a mix between a navel and a non-navel. There's a few seeds in it. I'm eating them like mad right now. They're still ripe on the tree, and I'm still harvesting them. Uh, they're nice and sweet. The cool thing about Trovita oranges is that they are great for squeezing, as well as peeling. So you can make orange juice out of them as well as uh, peel them and eat them right off the tree, which that's what I do. I just peel them and eat them right off the tree. Uh, And then there's uh, the gold nugget mandarin. And I bet you even leave your rinds on the ground for composting. (laughs) Don't tell Heidi. Um, And then there's the gold nugget mandarin, which is an absolute, absolutely delightful mandarin orange. It's uh, about the size of a baseball it peels real easily uh, the skin you know the skin comes off real nicely and it's got a nice nice floral flavor to it those are three of my favorite oranges and then what are, what about tropicals tropicals are are interesting here um, as it warms up in the winters for the past three winters we haven't had a freeze so I actually have a papaya growing and producing in my backyard. I have a papaya tree in my backyard that's 18 feet tall. I have to use a ladder to climb up it to pull the fruit off of it. And right now, this weekend, there's probably 40 fruit on it, <laughs> medium to large size fruit. So this is a heavy producer, but it hasn't frozen. You know, we haven't had a hard freeze. So that's what's allowing that to happen. And But the next hard freeze, a lot of those cases, you know, you just cut it down and the rootstock survives and it just starts over again. It starts over again. Exactly. And then, you know, the unicorn of trees is everybody wants an avocado. An avocado, <laughs> I call it an advanced fruit. You know, it takes a lot of a lot of effort to keep it alive through the summer. A lot of microclimating. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to grow avocado, you need a really, really, really cool microclimate. No sun for the first two years. Yeah, that's that's a hard placement in Arizona to find that layout. So we appreciate uh, you coming down as we wrap up. People can get a hold of you at the pop-up nursery today. Today until 3 o'clock at 4549 North 7th Street. You can find us at urbanfarm.org. And I'm Greg at urbanfarm.org. And you can access that website, of course, 24-7, seven days a week. You can even put pre-orders in for the pop-up nursery on the website. Yeah, you can in the fall. Right now, you got to come down and see us. Okay. And I'll be there. I'll be there this weekend and next weekend for questions and well, we'll look forward to seeing you in March here at Rosie on the House as we talk about jumpstarting your spring garden. Yes.